Welcome back to the History of the Barbarians podcast, season one, episode number eight, titled Constantine's Sword. My name is Josh Hirschman. We are here to continue our journey through the barbarian history with our story of the Goths. This week, we'll be looking into the interactions of the Goths and the Romans under the famed Emperor Constantine I. When we last left off in our story, the Goths were experiencing a time of growing strength and prosperity, enabled by a long-standing peace agreement with the Romans. Our goal this week is to look at the Goths' conflict with the Roman Empire at the end of that peace, in the first part of the 4th century CE. So in last week's episode, we looked at the development of the two main groups of Goths, the Trevengi in the west and the Gruthungi in the east. Both groups had experienced a peaceful period with the Romans from around 271 to the second decade of the 4th century. During this peace, the Goths were able to consolidate power and grow in strength politically, socially, and economically. They stayed involved in Roman politics throughout this period. As we see during this time, contingents of Goths, probably just the Tervingi, fighting with the Romans against their enemies in the east. And the Tervingi would not openly challenge the Goths at this time, as they did throughout the crisis of the 3rd century. If you remember, during the crisis of the 3rd century, which were episodes 3, 4, and 6, we saw the Goths act on Roman division and a retraction of agreements to try to benefit themselves. So when the Romans had political disunion, the Goths would exercise their power, when they were able to, to the detriment of the provinces of Moesia Superior, Moesia Inferior, Thrace, and Greece. We will see this again in the second decade of the 4th century, as the Romans will once again be weakened by political disunion. Another tetrarchy, or four-emperor agreement, had been established in Rome, but by the second decade in the 4th century, two of the emperors had pushed the others out, leaving only Constantine in the west and Licinius in the east. These two emperors are going to have a contentious co-reign, which leads to open civil war more than once. In the 310s, Constantine and Licinius fight two separate civil wars that end poorly for Licinius. He is forced to cede territories in modern-day Serbia to Constantine. And a steady, an unsteady truce holds for a couple of years, but then in 323 CE, civil war erupts again. Constantine and his army chase some Sarmatian raiders into Pannonia and then across the Danube River, but had to go through Licinius' territory in the process. Licinius takes umbrage with this effort and sees it as an affront to his territorial responsibilities. He wants to attack Constantine immediately, so he brings our Tervingi friends back into the story. Licinius seems to have signed a treaty with the Tervingi, some, or some of the factions at least, in the year 315 CE or so. It could have been from a defeat he inflicted on them in battle or by other means. Either way, they are the allies of Licinius, and they attack Roman territory assigned to Licinius. The Reek Razamond leads the Goths as they ravage through the Moesian and Thracian countryside. Constantine enters into Licinius' territory again and starts to counter the Goths. He even disseminates a decree that threatens death by burning to all Romans that would collaborate with the Goths. Collaboration, maybe you could say collusion, if you remember our episodes about the crisis of the 3rd century was a real problem for Christian and royal Romans. 
I would speculate that the landscape is much different for the Christians of the empire at this time, as both Constantine and Licinius were much more accommodating of Christians at this point in their tenures. Uh, and the idea of the squeaky wheel gets the grease, though, Constantine's decree about collaboration had to be issued for some reason. So Constantine defeats the Goths and drives them north of the Danube to end the current threat and hopefully bring peace to the empire. In Constantine's army, there are several thousand other barbarian troops called the Franks. Now, the Franks and the Alamanni are both Germanic barbarian groups that are active in the Rhine region at this time. We will come back to them in our story, but much like the Goths, the Franks would fight against and with the Romans at various times. So Constantine attacks the Goths and drives them back into their lands north of the Danube. In order to do this, though, he entered into Licinius' territory, which the Eastern Emperor complained about the Western Emperor's actions. So it looks like Licinius was setting up Constantine, or at least to try to give himself an argument that Constantine was encroaching on his territory and trying to do Licinius's job. Therefore, Licinius would have some sort of legal argument uh, of how Constantine was misbehaving somehow. But it's not to be. So Constantine decides this is going to happen. Civil war is coming. It is inevitable. And he should just go on the offensive. As Constantine is moving his troops, Licinius calls his Asian troops home and called on his Gothic allies once again to help him. So this time, the Gothic Greek Alika comes to his side. Constantine, for his part, would promote a Frankish general named Bonitas to a high military command in his army. This barbarian presence in the Roman army on both sides show an ever-increasing reliance on, on outsiders as a source of soldiers for the empire. This practice had been in use for, to some degree for centuries within Rome, but this civil war seemed to, to only use... This practice had been in use to some degree for centuries within Rome, but this civil war seemed to see this practice of barbarians increase. Both the Franks and Goths will be used as imperial troops for the rest of the existence of the empire. Not to go into too much detail about another Roman civil war, but to make a long story short, Constantine defeats Licinius in a couple of battles on the European side of the Bosporus and the Asian side. The only other element from this civil war that is pertinent to our story is what happens afterward. The emperor of the east, Licinius, is spared by Constantine, probably because he's married to Constantine's sister, but he colludes with the Goths to try to escape to the north of the Danube and raise another army to confront Constantine again. So, of course, this is found out, and Licinius is then executed. But this is not the end of Constantine's journey with the Goths. He, as the sole ruler of the empire in 324 CE, is responsible for the security of all the borders, including the troublesome Danubian front. So we find our new sole ruler shoring up defenses against our Goths in the 320s. Constantine would strengthen defensive systems along the northern borders of the empire called Lemus. The Danube Lemus, or the Moesian Lemus, were built and strengthened with the Goths and their history of conflict with the empire in mind. I've included some images on the Facebook page of the various Lemi around the northern border of the empire, including the Danubian Lemus. Now these Lemus would be built all around the empire, which 
the most famous would probably be the, the Britannica one, which includes Hadrian's Walls, as I'm sure many of us have seen images of the Hadrian's Wall before. Alemus would, as you might guess, include various defensive measures to ward off an enemy. Walls, ditches, forts, watchtowers, things like that would all be associated with the Lemus in the Roman Empire. The Danubian Lemus would include several new forts and defensive infrastructure. The Romans begin to build forts and outposts on both sides of the Danube River. They upgrade the roads that lead to the Danube region to speed up the response time of Roman troops in times of trouble. Stone bridges, representing this new permanent security of the Roman Empire, are built across the Danube River at strategic points. The Danubian Lemus would be characterized by its eight legionary fortresses that would be connected by a road that ran parallel with the Danube River. So with this new road built parallel with the Danube River connecting these fortresses, you would be able to move soldiers back and forth up and down the line as needed when a Gothic attack would happen. The Romans also built small forts called Quadriburgia, which would enclose about two acres of land in a square rectangle shape with a tower at each corner, hence the name Quad. These forts were built on both sides of the Danube River, meaning in Roman territory south of the river and in Gothic territory in the north. These forts served as lookouts for Gothic raids and advanced military positions and placements during Constantine's campaigns. At the same time that Constantine was building up the defenses against the Goths, the Trevingi specifically, he was planning on bringing the military might of the empire down on them. In the late 320s, the Trevingi were attacking their Tefali and Sarmatian neighbors north of the Danube. The Trevingi are attempting to spread their influence in, to the west in the form of picking on their smaller and more vulnerable neighbors. As they essentially had a peaceful relationship with the Romans, they were able to spread their influence and move their boundaries or spheres of influence more west and north at various times in the early 300s. So then in 320, a large group of Tefali invaded the Roman territory south of the Danube, mainly in modern-day Serbia, in order to escape from these, this growth of Trevengai power. In 332 AD, the Sarmatians, west of the Carpathian Mountains, asked for Rome to help them defend themselves against the Trevingi, who were led by Vitigal. The Romans, led by Constantine's son, Constantinus, attacked the Trevingi in the Banat, which is basically modern-day western Romania, west of the Carpathian Mountains, and parts of Serbia, a little bit of Hungary as well. These Trevingi were utterly decimated by the Roman legions. Now, the Romans defeated them in battle and then cut off a large number of them in the wilderness to starve and freeze to death. Some of the sources say, or typically the sources say, 100,000 uh, Goths, including women and children. But this is probably an exaggeration. But regardless, this group of Trevingi were in dire straits. Their new leader or judge named Arieric is faced with a difficult situation. He needs to get the remaining portion of his people back to the land that they had come from in the east, closer to the Black Sea. But the Romans, with their much stronger army, are in the way. The resolution he settles for is a treaty with the Romans that favors the latter heavily. The Tavinga are allowed to go home, but will submit to federati status with the Romans. As a reminder, to be a federati with Rome means that you would have to promise not to attack Roman territory, obviously, 
but you would also have to provide troops to fight for the Romans as they needed them. So if the Romans needed to go fight Parthia or the Sassanid Empire, they could call on you to send X number of troops, whatever the agreement was. It seems like 3,000, uh, as we mentioned in previous episodes, was the number that the Goths usually gave for their federati status. In return, you'd be allowed to trade with the empire and receive a yearly payment. So the Dravingi have signed a fetus or a treaty like this before, including in 238, 251, 271, and 297 CE. This fetus is a different, though, in the way that the Goths and the Romans viewed this situation. In other examples, the Dravingi had defeated the Romans or lost, but kept enough of an army on the field to have some leverage in negotiations. The subjugation of the Tringai was such that Arieric, the judge under which the Fetus was su- settled, sent a son and other young Tringai to become hostages in Constantinople. Now, this practice sounds alarming today, but it was quite common uh, throughout history where you could sign a treaty with another nation or entity and to ensure the fulfillment of the treaty, you would send children of the leaders to the other party. The other party would then educate, raise the children in a humane manner. But certainly if the treaty was broken, then the children would suffer an untimely end. Additionally, in Constantinople, they began celebrating the Gothic Games to recognize the significance of this victory. The Gothic Games would go on to be played in Constantinople from February 4th to 9th for hundreds of years. So this idea of the fetus or federati status for the Goths is going to be significant as we see the Romans celebrating this as a major victory in many different ways. The son of Ariaric would eventually make it back to the Goths and would be the father of a future judge named Anthonaric, who is going to be very important to our story here in the next couple episodes uh, as he's going to be involved in some serious chaos in the Gothic world. Uh, One note real quick, it should be noted here that the term fetus or treaty was not technically used as uh, a a real term at this time in Roman history, nor was the term federati. Uh, Federati wouldn't be incorporated into actual usage uh, for another 200 years or so, but this relationship certainly does mean the same thing. Here we are in the year 332. The Tervingi and the Romans are at peace and are free to trade and fight together instead of fighting against each other. Ariaric is the judge for the Tervingi, and his son is, is in the newly built Roman capital of Constantinople, being raised by the court of the Emperor Constantine the Great. And we will see this peace basically last for the next 30 years between the Goths and the Romans, which this peace will once again enable the Goths to become richer through trade with the empire, and solidify their strength in the region. And this is where I think we should probably stop for this week. Uh, as next week, we're going to look at the Goths in this new peacetime and how they're, they're going to consolidate more power and really set themselves up for more conflict with the Romans. So uh, the materials that we used for information in this week's show included The Goths by Peter Heather, Rome's Gothic Wars by Michael Kulikowski, uh, History of the Goths by Herwig Wolfram. And this show is a work in progress. So please give us some feedback on Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, like the show if 
you have that option on your podcast app. Subscribe. Let us know what you think of the show. And uh, check us out. All those uh, pictures I'll post on Facebook give us kind of an idea, mostly maps this week. And uh, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening, and talk to you next time.